Welcome to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension Soybean Specialist Dr. Sean Castile and Extension Corn Specialist Dr. Dan Quinn. On today's episode, Dan and Sean talk about their recent travels around the country to speak and learn about crop production. They also discuss where to start with all that data you've collected and how they continue to get questions from farmers about biologicals. I think a lot of the questions is what works, what doesn't, and where do you start? This podcast is made possible by the Indiana Corn Marketing Council and Indiana Soybean Alliance. Your Indiana corn and soybean checkoff investments yesterday are paying off today. New research, new uses, demand creation, bringing dollars back to the farm. Check it out at your checkoff.org. Now your host for Purdue Crop Chat, who's your ag today's Eric Pfeiffer. We are back at the Indiana Corn and Soybean Innovation Center here in West Lafayette. Eric Pfeiffer here, Dan Corn Quinn over here to my left. Hello, Dan. Here. Soybean Sean Castile over here to the right. Hi, Eric. Sean, good to see you. I, I, we've been trying to get together for a while and life just yeah. happens. Um, we were originally scheduled to do this back on my birthday, and I'm convinced that <laughs> you both just decided, I don't have anything for him. We, we shouldn't do this. This is yeah. a bad idea. Um, you know it. That was nearly two weeks ago. You've now had two additional weeks to give me something, and you come empty-handed again. This is just what I should come to expect. Our, pres- Dan- our presence is your presence. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Dan didn't even bring the donuts again. My <laughs> gosh. Well, he's moved now, so, I mean, he's not right close to it. I, I am... The one closest to the donut shop, so that's uh, on me, I suppose. Well, it, it happens. Plus, Dan has also been uh, on the road making millions on his speaking tour. Um, uh, was there a book signing, too? Is that what you've been doing? Yeah, of yeah. course. <laughs> all, all of your research papers in one book, you've been out signing those? Um, we're we're going to talk about some of those trips, some of those talks here coming up. Um, I'm actually getting ready to go on a big trip here. Are you um, now? Yeah, and... Uh, you know, Sean, we talk on this podcast about about you know growing your soybeans. Sure. But but there's got to be something after that, right? Oh, and, no doubt. Uh, and uh, our our friends at the Indiana Soybean Alliance, a sponsor of this podcast, they're they're all in on how to you know move that pile, how to how to move it uh, and, and get it where it needs to go. And uh, some issues right now, uh, we've all heard about the issues on the Mississippi River and and trying to get uh, barges down that. Yep. Uh, similar issues in Panama, the Panama Canal. Yeah. So I'm actually taking off this weekend uh, with my friends at the Indiana Soybean Alliance, headed to Panama and uh, nice. taking a look at some of the issues they have firsthand there. So be sure to uh, check that out at HoosierAgToday.com and on your local radio station. That'll be a, a good trip, a good time, and we'll we'll talk about you know where these soybeans go after yeah. after Sean grows them. So, um, but but let's talk about some of your travels here, Dan. You've been yeah. you've been traveling the country. Uh, I assume talking about corn, and these aren't motivational speeches. You're, you're, <laughs> you, you have to be motivated to yeah, talk about yeah. corn. I mean, you've got to come to a place it's like, you can do this. I am, I am confident. I, I can talk yeah. about corn again. I will talk about corn. I can see Dan walking in in like a, a big suit jacket doing his best Matt Foley impersonation. <laughs> Van down by the river. Uh, but no, not motivational speeches talking about corn. Uh, where all have you been? What all have you been talking about? <laughs> well, they are partly motivational speeches, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we've been all been all over. I've been in, you know, went to Maryland. Uh, they they have a really really nice uh, conference out there. Um, I think it's the Mid Atlantic um, crops 
crop school out there, both Maryland and Delaware. Um, so that's, you know, that's really interesting to, to go out there and, and see what those farmers have to deal with because it's very, very different out there. Um, they, they laugh at, uh, you know, Midwest farmers. Well, you don't have any regulations you have to deal with. You don't have to follow all these rules. Man, you got just got it made, right? So, um, you know, just seeing that, that different side and, and talking with, you know, both Maryland and, and Delaware farmers is, is, is a lot of fun. I think you get a little bit of perspective and what they have to deal with out there with the Chesapeake Bay. And, and, you know, they have, you know, a lot of nutrient planners. I mean, it's, it's nutrient planners. You got to follow a nutrient management plan and you have to, you know, be really to a T with, with your nutrients and your soil sampling and, and everything like that. It's very, you know, regimented out there and, and regulated. So, um, I, I joke, you know, they kept saying, ah, what do you mean you don't have this rule and that rule and this rule in, in the state of Indiana? So um, you kind of get a little perspective from them. Um, and then, you know, was in Iowa and, and Missouri um, as well. So was able to do both their, you know, kind of crop management CCA conferences as well. Um, Iowa, you know, get their perspective on things. Uh, did have some folks in Iowa say they enjoyed the podcast. So, hello, uh, Iowa. <laughs> yes. So, uh, I thought that was that was pretty cool. That you know, there's some Iowa folks out there listening to the Purdue Crop Chat. Um, Fantastic. And then you know, Missouri as well. That's you know, a, a different ball game uh, too. They, you know, um, they kept kept joking that you know their corn acres have been increasing in in the state and you know they don't quite have a, a corn agronomist i think they have a soybean agronomist there um so um you know their corn acres are increasing a lot of good questions I actually had a request that they wanted some some corn talks in missouri instead of all the soybean talks in missouri so um, was able to give a couple talks out in missouri and then well that, uh, that's good because sean's been banned from missouri anyway yep, yep. so he's easy. <laughs> <laughs> some ribs let's go back <laughs> yep so you know it's always fun traveling around i think you know sean you went to pennsylvania yeah. as well and yeah. you know we get to get out this time you know december is usually pretty crazy for both of us so but it's but it's always fun to to get out and, and understand and have those conversations with people in other states and what they're dealing with and and what their yields are and and what worked and what didn't uh, so it's it's pretty enjoyable it's one of the things I love about Indiana is, is the diversity in the soils. And when I was coming back to interview for the position, you know, there's a, the prairie soils. There's soils that are rolling, erodible. And so just all the ways we have to manage it. And it's not just a one-size-fits-all. And so I think it's on the same front, Dan, that I really enjoy the same kind of thing. I've been out to Mid-Atlantic, the Delmarva Peninsula there. You think about all the phosphorus they've got. They've got the broilers, the chickens, the mm -hmm hogs north carolina gets into that as well in that regulation so i think it does a lot of things for us as as agronomists and scientists is to see what they have on the regulation side but then also to kind of share with our growers here and say here's what it could be like guys let's yeah. let's get ahead of the curve let's not have regulation come down and tell us what to do with our farms let's manage it efficiently manage it profitably and sustainable and so i mean i, th I think about that one example and then if we can go over to iowa like you did and you know you got some deep soils there that mm -hmm. are analogous to what we have here and so what worked there and then you go to missouri and golly i mean you're you're shallow soils and so again yep. just just the diversity is like okay how does this management does it transfer from an I state to Missouri to uh, Maryland or Pennsylvania like where I was at. So I think there's a lot of thing to be learned from us as well as from them. So it's a, a good yeah. back and forth. Yeah, and I think you know the 
the questions, uh, you know, you get very diverse questions. You know, we'll I give a lot of these same talks in Indiana at, at our, our conferences, and you know, you kind of get your your questions based on Indiana Ag from a lot of the farmers. But you you give those present that research from here at those other states, and you kind of get a lot more diverse questions and and folks that can you know take things here and there from from our talks to their environment um, it may be very very different um, but you know very diverse questions um, you know I, <laughs> I keep coming back I had a farmer come up to me at, at, out in Maryland and I presented some of our cover crop you know research we've been doing because it you know pretty well pertains to, to them over there um, and the <laughs> farmer came, came up to me and goes why in the world are you planting cover crops in indiana you don't have to worry about any of that right you know it just it doesn't make any sense and you know we had to talk talking through it you know why why some folks do it in in indiana and why you know why people are getting into it and why it's becoming more prevalent in the state but just getting that perspective they just think you know there's why would you ever do something like that in, in indiana there's and but you have to explain to them why why folks are doing it so you know getting that perspective from from farmers in a lot of different states you know i spent time in florida too and and the regulations they have to deal with in terms of nitrogen management and their corn you know it's also like sean said you're taking I like to relay those messages back to Indiana farmers, you know, some of the fact, you know, we don't have to deal with a lot of this, but doesn't mean we, it, we it could. It, <laughs> we could, and you got to look at what those states have to deal with. Well, right? I think also, I mean, we were talking from the, the speaking circuit side of it, but as a farmer, as a crop professional, I mean, take those opportunities too. If you're able to go somewhere else and, mm -hmm. and go to a conference and, and glean from that, right? We talked about how we learn from other farmers, whether it's in the U.S. or Brazil or Argentina or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, it's totally, it's, hey, that's not my environment, but hey, you know what? That's that's kind of different, and maybe that could work here. I could try it. It does give perspective and get you out of your box. Yep. I think that's a big part of that. Uh, a big conference coming up that, uh, you know, we've met at at the past. Uh, Commodity Classic is coming up here yep. soon, so um, are you guys going? Yeah, I'm yep. speaking there. Yep. Okay. I'll be oh, there. They're, they're letting you speak there. Yeah, wow. occasionally. <laughs> you know, you pay enough, they wow. let you in. Jeez. Um, no, I'll, I'll be there as well, I, I assume. And, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be a good time, but I, I am curious as you, as you go around and, and just thinking back to the season that we had here in Indiana, uh, we, we've talked about it a number of times now, and I think the word keeps coming up, you know, uh, surprised. I think farmers were pleasantly surprised with yields mm -hmm. on, on both corn and soybeans. D did, did you get that similar sense when you went to some of these other places? I'm, I'm curious specifically about <laughs> Iowa. Uh, because you talked about how analogous it is, you know, were were they pleasantly surprised that they get some of the same million dollar rains that we got there late, um, and and are they still feeling, you know, like oh man, if we wouldn't have been, you know, like like yeah. we were so dry early on, yeah. what this crop could have been? Did you get some of that sense while you were out there? Yeah, I think in in Iowa I did get some of that sense. Um, Iowa's you know very you know location specific. Uh, I think there's certain parts of Iowa. Iowa one was was a lot drier. You know, we were dry here. Iowa really the last couple of years has, has really dealt with being very very dry. Now can those areas handle it? Right, they have very deep soils and productive soils, but they've been a lot drier um, than us. You know, I know some parts I've I, even this summer and and you know talked to 
both Iowa State and, and some pioneer agronomists in northeast Iowa um, this last year, just how challenging and, and dry it got um, up there. I know Minnesota, parts of Minnesota, you mm-hmm. look at southern Minnesota, struggled um, in areas. So you look at, you know, northeast Iowa, northern Iowa, I think they, they struggle a little bit more than, you know, the southern portions. Um, so it was very, at least from my perspective, very location-specific. Um, and some areas just were just flat-out dry um, out there, um, drier than what we were here. So some challenging areas, but again, I I still still got the perspective from from a lot of folks in that state. You know, similar similar message, right? Of you know, where do these yields come from? You know, we were concerned there for a while. We were able to catch the rains when we needed to, and and still some pretty good yields. You know, I always joke. You know, Iowa and Illinois, we always you know go back to june and it's like oh doom and gloom right and then you look at the state yield oh, we, we were in a bad place <laughs> yeah we you were know. talking about it on this podcast we're like guys yeah. we yep. yeah. this, well we did our service right uh we've done this for the last few years right dan was like okay drought's coming we need to start talking about it let's, let's do some interviews let's hype it up hype it up and then rain comes you know 10 inches later you're, you're yep. like the weatherman when when there's you know an inch of snow in the forecast <laughs> go buy the bread <laughs> now, i did have a comment out in iowa from uh from some folks that actually listened to the podcast and they kept saying they asked me did did sean really get a really hard time with him saying they're not going to get record yields out in <laughs> you know so that was kind of a story that you know oh, sean was doom and gloom and you know it, it wasn't the case so. Don, donnie downer <laughs> um, well what about you sean where, where you've gone have they has it been a similar story with yeah. just boy where did these come from yeah i, I think it it's uh, both sides of this i think that we've had where did this come from but then also um how much this weather really does push it. i mean it's a soil i talked a lot about that how there's similar soils but you know what is your weather that season it can have a huge influence so you think about a deep soil that's a prairie soil in iowa illinois parts of indiana and you you're still dry you that's going to be the overriding factor right it's a moisture thing and so do you have access to water or not and so even on good soils as uh, i'm going to go on the downer side of it is like weather is still pushing it down or you don't have the top end i was talking with iowa iowa group yesterday morning and the same kind of things hey we tried some of these treatments you and i have talked about this management strategy but you know we were just dry and i said i think part of these like major differences that we do get with our treatments or management it comes back to okay did you have good weather for seed fill and so i think a lot of that uh, came through for some people others you know weather was not there for it and so or soil moisture wasn't Mm. and then you flip it on over um, those that caught the rains and had enough to like, I've got a nice compact plant on the soybean front that, you know, we had a few pods, but they filled out and they, they were gob stoppers. Let's take a time out here. When we come back, I want to continue this conversation about some of your, your conferences and some of the questions you've been getting. We've been talking about it a lot on this podcast. We'll talk about it again. Some of the biologicals, it sounds like you guys are getting those questions at every opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also talk about some of the data that we need to start digging into here as we start planning for next season. Uh, we'll do that next here on the Purdue Crop Chat. Biodiesel is bringing value back to the farm, accelerating the demand for Indiana soybeans, increasing market value, and reducing greenhouse gases. The Indiana Soybean Alliance puts checkoff dollars to work, researching and promoting biodiesel in Indiana, growing production, creating nearly 3,200 jobs across Indiana and increasing soybean ROI $36 per acre. The future of fuel is biodiesel. Learn more about biofuels at yourcheckoff.org. 
All right, we're back. We're at the Indiana Corn and Soybean Innovation Center in West Lafayette. Dan Corn Quinn, Soybean Sean Castile, Eric Pfeiffer. I need a cool nickname. You guys just haven't given me one yet. Uh, there's Eric. There's, just wow. Eric. Wow. I mean, like, what not? It's like share. Like share. Yeah. Yes, I went there. I do compared you, you to did share. You believe in life after love. <laughs> you just one name, right? Yes. I yep. could have went yep. Prince. I could have gone a couple other ways. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so hey, he's passing that one up. Yeah, we're we're just we're just gonna go right on from there. Um, let, let's let's talk about uh, again. We we go to these conferences. You you hear from farmers, the. It's about biologicals right now and yep. folks trying to figure out what is going to enhance what we're doing mm-hmm. and and trying to find all of the data. And I know you guys are, are working your tails off trying to get a lot of that data. What types of things are you hearing from farmers about their experiences with biologicals? What mm-hmm. questions do they have? Sean, I'll start with you. Just sure. just give me give me an idea of what folks are talking about with this. Because it is such a hot topic. Well, let's start with one thing. I, I, we came across a graphic this summer. We were doing some planning for the CCA conference, and mm-hmm. uh, that's next week uh, here in Indiana. And we actually have a, a special session just on biologicals. Like, so we normally got crop management, nutrient management, soil and water pests. Well, we have a special track just on, on biologicals next week. So that's for one. In that discussion this summer, there was a graphic that was just mind-boggling to me in an article. And um, there's over 1,200 companies in this space. Mm-hmm. So let that sink in. Over 1,200 companies in the space of biologicals, as they're described as, it can be microbial, it could be plant extracts, it could be seaweed. So that, that kind of area, over 1,200 companies. And then to think about, okay, now you've got those that have biocontrol, biostimulants, crop effects, soil effects, and then there's there's a graphic that has over 400 companies, and it's just, you're just deer in headlights. So how in the world do you even process this, right? And so that's something that Dan and I are doing. Mm-hmm. That's something that the growers are doing. What works, what doesn't? And so I think a lot of the questions is what works, what doesn't? Yep. And where do you start? And so for, for us, we went last year, I went to the growers, I had my student come up with, okay, let's just do nutrients on soybeans that have some microbial uh, or biological. And so we had over 100 different products. I still can't do 100 different products to see if this works or not in spatial variability. And so I think the big thing for us was, okay, what are you, the grower, wanting us to look at? And so that's what we did. So we looked at those that are nitrogen suppliers. We looked at those that are phosphorus suppliers, some that are a combination. Some say it's a consortium. And they're like, okay, which one works? (laughs) That's still the question, right? But I think this has caught more traction because let's go like with the Delmarva type situation, Dan. Mm -hmm. Uh, You think about they've got phosphorus regulations. And so you think about a product, okay, or nitrogen. Is there a product that we can apply that provides that so we don't have as much synthetic so that I don't have as much regulation or you know the government on on my back right and so I think there's some more hope in that is that here's one avenue here's one product that can help me reduce my nitrogen or reduce my phosphorus in this example and not have this government regulation right so I, I think there's a lot of hype in this I think there's a lot of hope it's uh, is there any proof in the pudding on that that's the question I get yeah, and I got that, you know, actually talking to some, some folks, both government employees, you know, conservation service and, and stuff out in, in Maryland, and, and there is that, that hope, I think, you know, from the both the conservation and, and governmental side, I think there's some push in that. Uh, but you talk the amount of companies and the sheer investment in these, I mean, every, 
you know, not just these, you know, you have a lot of smaller startups and, and smaller companies that are doing this, but the big companies that are, mm -hmm. they're building entire arms of biologicals, right? You look at, you know, the Cortevas and the, and the Bears and the Syngenas and the Valence, mm -hmm. and I mean, they all now have a biological arm, right? They're just shelling out, you know, millions of dollars to invest in this space. So I think it's a, you know, it's a combination of, you know, some of the regulatory agencies and the conservation folks are looking at it as, you know, maybe that hope to, to help with some of this. And then you got these companies that are investing, you know, millions of dollars, you have capital investment, you know, venture capitalists that are in, investing large amount of funds into these space. So, um, you know, it's just, it's it's something that has kind of exploded in the mm -hmm. last last few years and and yeah farmers are just you know i think they're a little bit taken aback and you know how much is out there the sheer marketing of that's out there what works what doesn't there's so many products i don't know where to go so uh, that's where a lot of the questions are coming from and I think, you know, the, the main point of this is it's impossible for you guys to, you know, the, the two of you here in Indiana and, and even, you know, if there were two in every state trying to go through all of those, it, yeah. it, it's just not feasible. And you, we've talked about the differences in soils and everything else. There are just too many variables to get a straight answer of, yep, this works everywhere. It it's going to kind of be on a case by case, right. like it might work here. It might work there. Yep. It's really about what the farmer needs and what those biologicals are claiming or, or, you know, what, what they're saying. Yeah. Th this is where it's going to work. I, I it kind of starts there, right? No, it has to. And, and this is nothing new, right? This is really not new. It's just packaged differently. There's always been products coming out for decades of it does this. It stimulates the growth of the roots. It stimulates the overall health of the plant. There has some availability of nutrients. Now it's packaged in a way that it's there's an organism. That's not the only thing in biologicals, but I think that's the change that we've seen is that now there's this organism that can actually do something or get established and not just a, a chemical. And so I think there's that shift. I think there's some marketing to that. But then also these biologicals, I'm going to go down the route of an actual bacteria or fungi or whatever, is that there are those bacteria or fungi in the soils or in mm -hmm. the environment that have documented you know those kind of effects right so then it's now how does it go from it's in the field or this situation naturally occurring to i'm going to extract it out and i'm going to apply it to the seed or i'm going to apply it to the foliage mm -hmm. and then it's going to establish that's the the jump right that's okay how do we get to there because there's great documentation on our muscular mycorrhizal we've had that in every soil fertility class it basically extends the root system if you will but how do you go from that to put out glomus or any other species to actually have it be effective? That's that's the jump. And how do we find the cases in the fields that are going to get the benefit out of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, you think about the end fixing, you know, the asymbiotic end fixers. I mean, a lot of that bacteria is there in yeah. the soil. So it's, you know, they're there, they're documented. We document what they do. It's just getting that point where we can extract them we can put them in a jug we can apply them and and they do what they're supposed to um i think that's where the challenging aspect is and it's you know we can't look at all of them we we try you know and i think you can't just look at them in one year in one field either you have to do it in you know many in, years in one weather condition yeah. And right. one, yeah i mean it's it's very very challenging to to you know try and understand and and figure out what works and what doesn't yeah. of, of the two crops <clears throat> 
I think we have to go to soybean to be the starting point. And it's not just because I'm the soybean agronomist, um, but we've got over 100 years with this. If you really think about it, what crop between corn and soybeans has got microbial activity that has to be there for our top yields? It's soybeans. It's Brady rhizobium. It's our nodulation. It's our fixation. That was discovered back in the 1900s, 1920s, right? And so then that's something that we've had over 100 years with. And you think about the amount of time that we took as uh, a farming community, as scientists, to, okay, how do we isolate that? What's the best scenarios for that? What's our best recommendations? And, you know, where does it work? Where doesn't it work? And then the thing with that one in particular, it's symbiotic. So you said asymbiotic. Symbiotic, you know, is there's a benefit to the bacteria and there's a benefit to the crop. And so I think that's one of the changes uh, that we're seeing is now these other bacteria, fungi that are coming to market, most of them are kind of, I do my own thing. I don't have to have the corn plant. I don't have to have the soybean plant, but I sure hope they establish. And so I think that's a major shift in how these establish and get the benefit like we see with Brady rhizobium and soybeans. Yeah, and I think, you know, I actually gave a talk yesterday um, here at the Beck Center um, on some of the biologicals and, and what we've been doing. I, and I talked about just the sheer challenges of, of some of these, these biologicals, right? You know, one, the organisms dictated by, you know, soil structure and temperature and moisture and, and all these different factors. But, you know, one thing I keep coming back to with a lot of these products and, and what's applied is that the soil in a lot of environments is very highly biologically active. You know, there's a lot of organisms. I remember, you know, during my master's up in Michigan, we, we had a student that did, you know, just DNA extractions from, from soil samples in the rooting zone. I mean, the if you want to see an Excel file of, of DNA <laughs> extractions from soil microbiome, you know, organisms, I mean, it's huge. I mean, just the sheer I, amount. I of think that'd be right up my alley. <laughs> I think that that's a, not some nighttime reading for you me. You want to read that and see that. I mean, just so I think one aspect that, you know, I won't say we don't have a good handle on. I would say we're there's still a lot of information to understand is the interactions between what's already there the structures and the communities that are there how they you know we see they shift here and there based on how we rotate how we till how, mm -hmm. what crops there you know there's so many interactions so you're introducing maybe one or two bacteria into this highly biological environment they're adapted they know what's going on and you know i always refer to back to you know there's this new person showing up and you know i've had conversations with these microbiologists that say you know introduce a new organism how do you know it just doesn't die when it gets there because it's it going, gets a cold shoulder yeah, by all those exactly. <laughs> so, doesn't get invited yeah, out to yeah. dinner right and so do you build you have and i had a question yesterday that you know is something that that i've talked to you know had questions about and thought about you know uh one of the farmers yesterday asked me and said well if there's so much competition there if we do design a, or extract a microbe that is competitive enough that it can handle that environment and take over that environment then do we have problems on that side and it's like well that's that's a fair concern i i thought that that question was a really really good question and it's you know it's, it's a fair concern if we do have these microbes that you know really do what they say 
and they just, you know, take over that, that environment, you know, and become really aggressive, does that then hinder some things um, down the road? There's just so much, the, the soil microbiome is so complex, soil is so complex, and it's, that's why, you know, there's really no silver bullet with a lot of these products that they're always going to work. It's just, you know, everything in, in, in ag, we always talk about this, is so complicated, right? I, I put up on my slide yesterday, you know, the, the question do these products work? And my first line was, I don't know. And the second one was, it's complicated, right? And <laughs> I, was, I was done after that, right? So it's, it's very, 45 very, minutes yeah. to talk in 45 <laughs> seconds. What, what questions do you have? <laughs> it's, it's so challenging because of that environment. You're listening to Purdue Crop Chat, brought to you by your Indiana corn and soybean checkoff organizations. Visit yourcheckoff.org. Well, as we continue down this road, Sean, I mean, I, we're, we're going to have more questions sure. about it. And folks are going to continue and I know the research on, on your end will continue. Let's let's move on here to talk about, you know, we, we are right here and, uh, you know, harvest is done. We, we've, you know, hopefully put some of the equipment away here. And now we have all this data and we talk about data all the time and all the data that we can collect. Uh, I guess now it's time to figure out what what data should we be looking at? What data can we use and what do we do? with the data i mean right now you know there, there are some folks still making some seed decisions sure. um mm-hmm. uh you know there there are a lot of different things that you can take into account where where do you start sean yeah i, I think you start with uh we're gonna make the assumption here. data in is that you've done a good job of getting quality data let's start there <laughs> right i mean <laughs> we're making a big assumption because it's easy to say harvest is here i'm going to roll yield monitor hey, we calibrated it last year we're fine so understand that i mean if you didn't do that you have to take your data with a grain of salt so let's let's hear that first secondly now we're going with just normal fields uh, that you've got yield maps on or you got flights on tissue data okay see how much data you have and then to dive into it I would really like to start with, okay, did you do the strips of comparison, right? That's mm-hmm. the easiest one to say, okay, what was different on these treatments in the same field, right? Hopefully you've got some of that. If you don't, okay, you have to, again, be a little cautious in how you're making these comparisons. I had a conversation with a grower a week or two ago, and uh, one of the, some of the things he was talking about, take-homes that he had was, okay, he was planting the cereal rye and planted the uh, first week of of May or so, and you know that that was a ticket. And I was like, oh, so which was it? Was it planting in the CRI or is it planting first week of May that had the biggest benefit on your crop? Do you have anything to compare to? And well, no. And so then it's like, okay, mm-hmm. so it could be one or two or both. And so then you have to run with that uh, appropriately. Uh, I think as you move forward with that, if you don't have you know a service provider, you don't have a crop agronomist or a consultant that runs with data like this, and you're not comfortable with it go and find someone it's worth the money and investment for someone to help glean uh, the data the yield map so then you say what's different about these and i'm confident that there's differences here not just because the machine was acting up that day i think we start there yeah dan on on your side uh, what do you think here with corn yeah i think it's you know very similar you know understanding what data you have you know i'm a big proponent of you know understanding in the fields and maybe in the more challenging areas maybe what performed and what didn't um, looking at your hybrids you know you mentioned you know um, just seed decisions we the hybrid interactions we see and in, in how certain hybrids can perform in some environments and, and and can't i think you know that's one of the 
best decisions, right, from, you know, disease prevention and, you know, tolerance and, and, you know, vigor and emergence and all these different things, you know, hybrid decisions is usually that first thing I come back to. So understanding, you know, which ones worked, which ones maybe didn't do as well, um, what areas were challenging, well, why were they challenging, right? Did the did you have soil samples from that area, plant tissue samples? Did you scout disease? Do you have drone flights? Um, and then having, you know, good, good comparisons, right? Cause you know, I talked to some folks too, like they said, well, this, you know, this X product worked and it's like, well, did you do side by, oh, I put it all over my whole farm. It's the best yields I ever had. And it's like, well, was it really that, that product that, or was it the year, right? Or, um, so, you know, having either split planners or turning it on and off and, you know, having the ability or, or someone you work with to extract that data properly, you know, this again comes to the assumption that you did the legwork, you know, starting the season that you're going to have accurate data. Um, but, you know, we always talk about this. You got to have some form of, of trying things and on your farm, you know, and one thing with these biologicals, I talk to all these farmers is just try it, right? Just keep trying it. Um, I think, you know, and, and be kind of smart in, in how you try it uh, too. So don't just throw it on, you know, the entire farm, you know, have strips, you know, turn it off in those fields and then being able to look at that yield data and understand, you know, where those differences are at in those fields. And then, you know, I'm a big proponent on looking at, okay, maybe those areas that didn't perform as well, well, why didn't they perform as well? Do you have some data or background, you know, imagery or anything from those areas that maybe give you an idea of what maybe didn't perform to the to your expectations and then how do we get better uh, for next year i think that's a big proponent to, to your point about hybrid selection mm -hmm. uh, i i heard from an agronomist recently and and i think that one of the one of the big things uh here in, in recent years uh tar spot scores you yes. know tar spot rankings and mm -hmm. you know how you, how different hybrids react to it mm -hmm. and and you know the, this other agronomist was saying like yeah, this, this is a big deal now. If, if your seed company isn't talking about it, they need to be. Yep. Um, you know, what are they saying? What are the scores they putting that they're, uh, that they're putting out there? Because, you know, he said, you can't fungicide your way out of tar spot mm -hmm. with, with a, a susceptible hybrid to it. Yep. Uh, that hybrid selection is critical in those instances, and I'm assuming you would agree with that? Yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest number one first decision to make if you deal with tar spot pretty badly uh, you know a lot of these big companies they they have you know the disease scores and you know a lot of the di different disease species now majority of them have those tar spot scores you know do you have fields that you know, this this part of the farm man we just deal with tar spot year in and year out or you deal with gray leaf spot or northern core leaf blight or any of these and, and picking a hybrid that that fits in those environments i think you know um just finding resilient hybrids you know i keep referring to bulletproof hybrids that you know just are consistent they just keep going um, they can tolerate that stress but but also put the yield um, yeah hybrid selection is is really big that's usually that, that first starting point um, to having a, a pretty good gear and being able to, to tolerate a lot of the stresses out there 
And and Sean, Sean, I, I assume that with soybeans, you know, yeah. variety selection is is just as critical with uh, some of the diseases and some of the things that we've seen out there. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's the same same ball of wax in terms of uh, phytophthora scores and what gene do you have for that? If you have areas you think about East Central Indiana has got some pretty poorly drained soils and deal with phytophthora a lot, so we need to look at that. Soybean cyst nematode that's been there for years. A lot of people don't even. Think, oh, I got a cyst resistant variety. Well, most of them, if they're cyst resistant, are one one strain, right? Ninety eight PI eighty eight seven eighty eight, and that that line in particular is just getting beat up over the decades. And so we need to be looking at ones that have different, you know, a peaking or, or something like that, as well as uh, you have some white mold and, and other diseases. So that is definitely a part of it. I think one other one on the soybean front. Um, you know, weeds, all right? What is the herbicide trait package that you need to handle the weeds of concern? Because, I mean, they're there. They're the ones that are, you're having to make some pretty major decisions year in, year out, no matter what, right? You think about fungicide uh, application of corn or soybeans. Okay, it should be a, I'm going to make it based on the season. Weed control? All right, it's pretty much there every year. Uh, no, no matter what, you're, you're not going to get around that one. And so we need to make sure we've got varieties that can handle the weeds that you've got with the herbicides that you need to be using. Any other data that folks should be taking into account right now that, uh, you know, might really hit that bottom line as, as they go into next year, Sean? I think about, um, we've talked a lot about growing conditions and weather and, you know, most farmers will have a rain gauge of some form and maybe even a weather service. If you don't, I, I think that's an investment that should be made. And especially if you have farms, fields that are spread out, to, whether it's a remote one or you tap into a service provider that has good quality data on that, I think that's going to help you in the here and now in understanding not just, oh, what was that June like again? Or when did we get that rain? Because we're not going to remember. That's why you go back and say, okay, what was the weather like? Did we have some good rains during this July period? Period, and that's what made this transition. I think about some treatments that look amazing, like visual responses all growing season, but then we didn't have the water in August and September and yields were, were not, we didn't see anything. And so to have that conversation and connections like, yep, we saw it all season, but nothing yield. Well, why? Oh, we didn't have the rain or we didn't have soil moisture. I think that's something that farmers need to make sure they have access to. I, I feel like, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this conversation has shifted a bit. And I go back to a conversation we had earlier this year with, with Beth Hall, the state climatologist, uh, talking about how weather patterns have changed Yes, and how, you know, when we would get a rain, it was like, you could almost set the forecast for the entire state. Like we've got rain today and we're going to get, you know, a sure. couple inches. Um, because the, just the weather systems were that large. Yeah. But now with, you know, this it's almost like microclimate, like you, yep. you can get, you know, rain in half of your field, but not the other one. Like it, it, it's really split that much. Sure. I feel like these conversations about weather used to be easier than what they are now because of some of those factors. I think you're right. Uh, I think also in a larger sense, we have seen a shift. I, th I think of our springs, I mean, they tend to be wetter longer and we get just a couple days. I mean, go back to an April, May podcast, I almost guarantee it's been, well, we got 12 hours to get this crop in and you know, that's what we're going to do. Right. And so I, I think that goes all season long too. Yeah. Dan, anything else here we need to touch on? No, I think, you know, the big thing is, you know, coming back to you have a lot of data you know use that data sit down try and just 
you know, that's what we do as, as researchers, you know, it's, it's understanding why did things happen the way they did, right? And, and try to just think about that a little bit. You know, was it, you know, ah, this field was a little bit drier or do you have your soil test results? You know, I saw a response to this. Well, you know, what, what were my soil test results? What was the weather like? You know, just, I think it's, it's always important, you know, every single year to, to sit down and, and understand, okay, what worked, what didn't work and, and trying to figure out that why, why, you know, why did something perform? You know, we had, you know, we got 15 bush off fungicide here and we didn't see it over there. Well, why was that? You know, do you, did you have some scouting data or some reports on that? And, you know, do you deal with, you know, tar spot here and there? Did, you know, was it the weather patterns? You know, was it the fertility? Was it the hybrid, you know, planting dates too? You know, a lot of farmers have, you know, pretty diverse planting dates based on their fields um, as well. I've had a lot of those conversations with some farmers. They're like, yeah, I planted, you know, this field, you know, May 1st and it did okay. I planted this one, you know, May 15th, it did really well, right? So um, just there's a lot of information, you know, a lot of data out there. Um, we're always collecting everything so it's it's sitting down it's thinking about you know why you know really that that why question why why did things work the way they did or why didn't they you know what worked what didn't work and and really thinking about what how we can keep getting better next year and and also you know is there areas we can be a little more efficient maybe could we cut back on our you know end rates here or maybe we didn't need that product this year or that year you know for next year so can we get a little bit more efficient uh to moving forward I want to just add one one thing. In the comment, it just struck me with the planning date and differences. And this is one of many things, but, you know, we're rolling a lot of fields, going fast. But just having a couple word describer, as you go into the next year, you're planting, you have, if you're your boy's planting, or your farmhand, or whoever, and say, okay, cloudy conditions, or great. Just, just to have a couple words added into you, having a file or your text or whatever on that date, then you go back to, because too often, I think we miss out on that one aspect, okay, that we got May 1st versus May 15th, and it looked better or worse, well, open seed slots, or just something very quick. I think that data, right, we're, it's easy for us to get into, okay, give me the yield data, give me the all this, but even just the this qualitative, give me a rating, give me a ranking, great conditions, poor, we got it slopped in, right? That alone, I think, adds a lot of value to what you're seeing. Yeah, and back to a point you made earlier, Sean, there, there are a lot of folks that can take this data and do some really good things with it. Yep. Yep. So if you find someone that you trust, that that's worth the investment sure. in your in your mind, right? I mean, yeah, that's I, I think definitely if you don't have the the bandwidth, because let's face it, a farmer handles everything, right? right. From okay, I got to do a machine weld, uh, plant agronomist, banking, uh, trade, all of that. All right, <laughs> there's a reason why a lot of people aren't in it. They don't have the cast iron stomach for it. <laughs> so use those folks that have the skill and do that and test drive them, right? It's the same thing that we talk about. Okay, does this fungicide work or not? Is this biological? Yes, no, okay. Run a test drive with whoever the provider is. Okay, give them a couple fields and just see what do they get, give you out of that. Yeah. yeah, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of very good agronomists, you know, very good independent consultants uh, that do a lot of this and they do a good job. Um, and then, but it's, you know, testing a lot of things, you know, testing it, you know, correctly. I think that's important aspect, right? Because, you know, a lot of farmers are going to winter meetings. They're going to these, these trade shows and talks. And, you know, we, we always joke that, you know, if 
every talk that I went to with you know, a, lot, a lot of these companies, three to five bushel, right? Three to five oh, bushel. Oh, man, we're going to be we, at 500 bushel beans. We should have been at 500 bushel if we applied <laughs> all these, right? So, you know, critically think, you know, ask those folks questions, you know, ask me questions, right? And, and what we, if you come to our talks, you know, be critically thinking, you know, I think about some of the testing, right? You know, um, even some of the, you know, back to the biological questions, you know, one thing we talked about yesterday is, you know, some of these nitrogen fixing biologicals, you know, I'll often see folks that, you know, I, I typically apply 240 pounds of nitrogen and then I drop my rate by 40 pounds of nitrogen and I had the biological and I saw no difference. Hey, you know, well, was it the biological or was it the fact that you don't need 240 pounds of nitrogen um, on your field? So um, maybe do a few more different end rates with these these end fixing products, right? And and just, you know, critically think about things, ask questions, you know, understand things and, and maybe pick up on some things to, to get better. I've got I've got three kids, guys, and you know we've got sickness always coming in the house. We have the petri dish, right? Nine, mm-hmm. seven, and five. Strep has come through our house so much, and as you talk about these things, like as as a father, I'm like, okay, whatever I can do to help them get through and help me get through, right? <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that at five o'clock. But at any rate, um, so I think about it's like I'm trying to do everything I can to help them. So here's the medicine that's over the counter. Here's the antibiotics if that's what I need, and like. Well, vitamin C is good. I'll give them vitamin C and elderberry syrup says it helps. So, I mean, I go ahead and, you know, I'll give them that, right? Yep. I want them to get better. I want them to stop whining, <laughs> right? And, but no, honestly, I want them to get feeling better. But I think about a crop, right? It's the same kind of thing. It's like, I'm invested. I want to believe in this. I want to believe this elderberry syrup and this vitamin C is going to help them mm-hmm. feel better. And so it will. Well, I want the, this biological to work. So I want it to feel my crop to do better. And so it's going to do better. So, the thing is, a parent, I don't have a control. I'm not going to not give you that. And whereas a crop, you can say yes, no, and have that comparison, and still have that. Okay, am I doing the best job as the steward of this farm? You don't have a control child. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't control any of my kids. I was just getting ready to say he's a lot nicer than I am. I you throw him in their bedroom, give him bread and water, and say, "Let this thing run its course. Don't come near me." You have an untreated check child. <laughs> you know the thing. You can do that, and I've done that, and then that's then 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 it's. It's like two or three days of that. I was like, well, they're grumpy and all get out. Now yeah. we got a fever of 103. He's like, well, dang it, Sean. Yeah. He's a scientist, right? He's talking about these things. <laughs> oh, I do that. I Believe me, experience. I do. And it comes back and it, you know, it bites me in the rear, sometimes literally. So we'll see. <laughs> oh, guys. Well, it, it is um, it is that time of year, conference meeting season, and folks need to get out, ask those questions. Maybe we should consider taking this on the road. We can have Dan do his motivational speech, um, and then Sean can come out and do his karaoke because I think you know that that'd be that'd be good. We'll do this somewhere in between. I can do my stand up routine. It'll just it'll be fantastic. Sounds good. Um, the well, Eric. Yeah, I'm, I'm really concerned about our listenership numbers after if we uh, did something like that. <laughs> Pro- promote it like crazy, and the, the you know two people to listen show up. Um, no, guys, uh, I appreciate this i know it's uh, it's been a little while it, it, life happened it's been busy uh trying to you know you guys are doing some things around the farm here trying to get some things ready for next year finally um, oh man it's taken a while but yeah we've yeah. had some fun things there yeah so uh, uh we'll get together we'll do this again here soon and, and talk about uh some other things we can do to prepare for next season we appreciate the time thanks guys thank you thanks this has been purdue crop chat a regular series featuring purdue extensions dr dan quinn and dr sean castile made possible by the indiana corn and soybean checkoffs the indiana corn 
Corn Marketing Council and the Indiana Soybean Alliance. The checkoffs are pleased to help bring you agronomy insights from Purdue Extension. Opinions on the podcast are those of the host and guests and not those of the sponsor. Purdue Crop Chat is a service of Purdue University Extension. And who's your ag today? Timely, relevant, credible.